Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast. I'm John Manuel. He's Matt Eddy. We're coming to you from Baseball America World Headquarters down here in Durham, North Carolina. Wrapping up the 2016 calendar year, we've wrapped up another issue of Baseball America, or, or we're in the process of wrapping up that issue. Uh, we wrapped up the Prospect Handbook last week. Make sure to go to store.baseballamerica.com to pre-order your copy of the Prospect Handbook. And we have a dummy cover there of Yohan Moncada in a uh, Futures game uniform that has been there. I tweeted last week, like, hey, it could be Yohan Moncada, it could be Dansby Swanson. I tweeted that Alex Reyes, Andrew Benintendi, and I think Glaber Torres I put as the guys who I pulled pulled art for for the for the cover. I was surprised, Matt, at how much Danby Swanson love I got on Twitter for uh, yeah. maybe it's my feed. I do have a lot of college baseball fans. Maybe the Vandy Boys <laughs> uh, feed uh, was more prominent than I thought it would be. But um, we had a lot of choices for uh, prospect handbook cover. I also tweeted out the history of prospect handbook covers. I'm trying to think who the worst handbook cover was. I, I and, have my answer. See, for me, I think it's Corey Patterson, who was the first one. Nah, Hermita, 2006. So you think Hermita worse than Corey yeah, Patterson? Yeah, Pat- Patterson was definitely better than Hermita. Those are the first two that pop into mind. Jeremy Hermita <laughs> was definitely, A, uh, a disappointment, and B, he was really the guy who really kicked off my obsession with singing Jeremy every time a player's <laughs> name with Jeremy comes up. Um, it was Jeremy Guthrie and Jeremy Hermita who really started that. That's definitely a, one of the easier squares to get in John Manuel Bingo. That's up on, <laughs> that's up on my office wall. Um, and ne- Jeremy by uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famers, Pearl Jam. That's right, Rock and Roll and, Hall of Famers. And here we are talking about a different Hall of Fame today. That's the best segue ever. Rock and Roll Hall of Famers and Pearl Jam. Uh, you know, they're, they're no, I don't think there are any... There, well, there's one prominent Cub on this ballot, I guess. Former Cub. Now that they're like the Cubs band. But... Uh, th- Matt, every year, I guess, I, I, don't, I don't know if it's just because of social media. It certainly amplifies it with how the – there is rancor. Uh, C-3PO would not like the rancor over the Hall of Fame balloting that's with baseball now. Uh, I, I've been fortunate to be in the BBWAA the last two years. And I, again, the discussion this year about making the ballots public, I, I tweeted about it at the time at the winter meetings, was very thoughtful, very considered – the writers take this. I think the, the most of the writers take this very seriously. I think there are some who are bummed about the process or don't like the limitation of 10 years, don't like the limitation of 10 players for their ballot. You know, those are things that are handed down by the Hall of Fame, which is given the right to vote to the Baseball Writers Association of America, could take it away whenever they wanted to, you know, had to pick someone else to do it. They certainly seem okay with doing committees. <laughs> you know, they've They've done plenty of committees, and in general, I think we both agree that the committees generally do a worse job of putting players in than the writers do. The writer standards in general over the history of the Hall have been pretty pretty high and pretty fair. Very high. Um, almost too high, you could argue. Mm-hmm. But now you, this is a tough ballot where we – but it does feel like we're getting close to a point, though, where maybe we might start clearing out this ballot where it seems like a lot of writers have a hard time limiting themselves to 10 every year. Do you think we're getting close to that point? you think we're going to get a lot of guys in with this ballot? It's tough to say. I, I, I see only, I think, three guys are locks. I think the, the returning candidates, uh, Jeff Bagwell, Tim Raines, and Trevor Hoffman, are all going to get the support just based on their balloting last year. I agree. I think those, those three guys, if you're going to book any three names... I think I would put those guys even ahead of the first-time ballot guys this year. What do you think? I I think you're right about that as far as the first, especially the first two, the position players, Mm -hmm. Bagwell and Reigns. I feel like those guys uh, both received more than two-thirds of the vote last year. Right. Um, They reach a lot of um, Hall of Fame standards of days of yore, and especially they're even more attractive candidates in today's uh, environment where there's more information, I would say a more educated um, electorate. I think that's fair to say. Um, to me, Hoffman's almost more in question, even with his high vote total from last year, because he's such a narrow candidacy of the closer, you know, the relief yeah. pitcher. I think that leaves him more vulnerable despite his very high vote total last year. 
And then the thing is, the first-time ballot guys are all split camp guys. and Not split camp guys, but, well, they are split camps because it's the PED camp versus the non, where you have those first-time balloters being Ivan Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Vladimir Guerrero are the three most prominent uh, first-time ballot guys. I'd say the fourth guy really is Posada, mm-hmm. Jorge Posada. Not just a Yankee, but one of the top offensive catchers you know, the last 50, 60 years. Of his era. Yeah, yeah definitely. Oh, of his era, one of the top two or three. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. You know, but but he's he's on the ballot at the same time as a guy who was as offensive, and clearly a better defensive player. Yeah, he kind of falls in between Piazza's offense, and he's nowhere near the defender of Ivan Rodriguez. So that kind of puts him in no man's land. Posada's always despite a his, player, despite his his history with the Yankees and the World Series. We could talk. I could talk about him a lot because I think he and Posada, he and Piazza are perfect contrast. Where I think Piazza would probably. Uh, in today's game, with this emphasis on pitch framing, uh, presenting a pitch, I feel like Mike Piazza was very good at that. Mm-hmm. I, I felt that at the time. I, don't, I think it now I don't haven't gone back and broken down video, but I always felt like Piazza's left hand was better than his right hand. And stolen base attempts are down so much in Major League Baseball. Right. I think his weaknesses would be would be minimized. Yeah, today. Today. And yeah. they were in the era that he played in. It was a higher stolen base rate, but right. in that really nuclear offensive environment, you know, post ninety five. Teams stole fewer bases and you know sat back and waited for three run homers and that's when he played basically and he was very good at providing three run homers. Um, <laughs> whereas Posada, I thought I've always thought and I've talked about this with scouts. I've said it on these podcasts. Scouts I've talked to put you know forty grades on Posada as a receiver. I mean, so there is hope for Wilson Contreras. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, this guy was a brutal receiver and it was on display every year of the World Series. Um, Somehow, I mean, this the, the fundamental name of the of the of the of the position he played was the thing that he was worst at doing. <laughs> he was bad at catching the baseball. I mean, I know it's hard. <laughs> He's supposed to be a base, but he could throw like crazy. So the flashier things, he did very well. Switch hitter with power, and he could really throw. I don't feel like he was ever very good. I mean, he was the king of the mound meeting. Uh, I couldn't stand watching him catch. Let's yep. put it that way. It had nothing to do with the uniform. <laughs> had everything to do with with. So I, I think that aesthetically. He suffers, but I, I do think eventually he probably will get in. You do? Because I do. Via the writers? I think via the writers by eight, year eight, nine, and ten, I think Posada's going to get in. You mean after the Jeter and Rivera ground, yeah. groundswell? I think those guys are going to help, and, and Pettit. I think Pettit will get in. I think that core four, I bet they all wind up getting in. I could be wrong. I don't know. I could be reading the Some, tea leaves So wrong. many of the Yankees who were in the hall now were Veterans Committee selections. This is true. From the 20s and 30s. Right, and right. Anyway. I would, if Posada had a, if he had a few more home runs, if he'd gone over 300 home runs, I think he would have gotten in for sure. 275 career. But for a switch hitter and a switch hitting catcher, he has a compelling offensive case. And I think that the defense, the bad receiving, uh, over time will be forgotten and minimized. I think that his role on, the, on those Yankees championship teams is going to be is eventually going to get him in. If he doesn't maximized. get in as a writer, yeah. If he doesn't get in as a writer, he'll get in in the Veterans Committee eventually. I think eventually I think, yeah. he'll get in. Okay. So I think the Yankees uh, thing helps him. But but Bagwell and Reigns, I think we agree. Um, those guys are going to get in. And Reigns is – I don't understand why Reigns has been controversial. I really don't understand, Matt, I guess. Why do you think it's taken 10 years for him to get to the cusp of it when he just didn't have enough hits? Is that really what it comes down to? <laughs> I think so. I think like the, the gold standard number is 3,000 hits or 1,500 RBIs or whatever the number is. And Tim Raines has 1,500 runs. I guess that's like a tertiary consideration. It's a lot of runs. <laughs> but it's the three, I know, a 385 on base percentage for his career. You know, the, the Bill James theorem for how a player becomes underrated, lack of postseason experience. Check. Check. Uh, plays for... Small market teams, check. check, until he got to the Yankees. Yeah, Those two things, I think, really conspire against him, and the fact that he was a direct contemporary of the greatest leadoff hitter of all time, Ricky Henderson. I think those are the three factors that hurt him in the eyes of voters. What do you think? I, I, think, you, I think the Henderson thing, it's weird how that works, because to me, I would have thought that that would have helped him, that he was the closest facsimile that was around, you know, the last 30 years to Ricky Henderson. And then Ricky Henderson was a truly singular player in the history of baseball. Mm-hmm. And that Tim Raines approximated him. He was for the, a national, good seven the National years. League version. He was National League version, although that was the senior circuit. He was the junior version of Ricky Henderson. Never had quite the power that Henderson had. I, th- I guess his career peak is 18 for a single season. And of course, that was in 1987, the rabbit ball year. 
So he had a lot less home run power than Ricky Henderson. Um, but to me, you know, being a junior, Ricky Henderson's a compliment. I guess I would never think that that would, if I were a voter, that that would have kept him out. I do think the cocaine stuff in the mid-'80s hurt him. Yep. I think playing for the Expos hurt him. Yep. I wonder how much his defense hurt him, because I, I do think that's the, the one negative, really, in his candidacy as a Hall of Famer is he played an unimportant defensive position, and he played it at a modest level. And if you profile that guy out, you just don't see, again, coming at it maybe a little bit too much, but coming at it from the scouting and player development point of view, nobody who's listed 5'8", 160 plays left field if they can, if they can avoid it. Right. And especially when you see that he throws right-handed. Those guys play second base. So part of me wonders, would Tim Raines have been a, a second baseman if he came along in a non-artificial turf era? Right. Well, he came along, not only did the Expos play on turf, but look in the National League East. The Phillies played on turf. And who was it? There was Cardinals, one Pirates. Cardinals, all the, so all those teams in the NL East back then yeah. were turf teams. Not all of them, but a lot of those teams in his that he had to play home and road games. It was a lot of turf. You had to have so there was a real premium on range. I mean, I know he wasn't a direct contemporary, but like Jose Leend was a second baseman back then. Yeah, you know, Damaso Garcia. Yeah. <laughs> These kind of lead lanky guys with no power played second base in today's era. That's Daniel Murphy and Robbie Cano and <laughs> guys who bash. What did we just Jed Jerko? What did we say like fourteen guys hit twenty or more home runs. So in his era. And I guess another part of it is a guy who runs like that who did not play center field. So, yep. those, so I always ding him in my head for those things. I doubt that's what the Baseball Writers Association is digging him for. It seems like they're digging him for not enough hits and maybe not enough defensive performance. But I mean, it really his candidacy does seem obvious. I do get frustrated by the comparisons of him and Gwynn because they're. Totally different players, and I have a soft spot for Tony. Mm-hmm. I'm not even from San Diego. Um, <laughs> but you know, Tony Gwynn was a premium defender in right field and played some center early career. Tim Raines very rarely played center field. So. Yeah, we should mention in the Tim Raines discussion that he came up as a second baseman and played it at least a little bit his first few years with Montreal. He played it badly. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that might not be clear to everybody. That's all. Yeah. I'm just clarifying. That, that is the thing to me is that he, you know, that is the only negative on his career. But I, I think the cocaine thing. Yes. I think that works against him more than we think. Cause it, and, it, and maybe the fact that a white guy like Paul Molitor can go through that and overcome it, and it takes longer for Tim Raines. I Double know. standards? <laughs> I, th- those never happen, right? <laughs> I mean, and the thing is, Paul Molitor played in a small market in Milwaukee for most of his career. But I do think that that postseason success he had late career with Toronto and then the 3,000 hits, yeah. those two things made top, it easy. Top 10 all time for hits when he retired. He was top 10 all time yeah. when he retired. That's, that's pretty, that's pretty he's, significant. He's way up the board. But I mean, the thing is, like, so Tim Raines, when he's 23 years old, and has this massive year, 298, 393, 429 for Les Expo and steals 90, no, walks 97 times and steals 90 bags. Wow. So if he could play second base, wouldn't you think he'd play second base even if he wasn't good at it? But they played Doug Flynn there. Montreal did in 1983, hitting 237, 267, 293. That's bad even for 83. <laughs> so That's always been my point. Is that Tim, So that's that's my one negative on Tim Raines. But like better career than Jim Rice? Not even close to me. So... Uh, I'm disappointed that it's taken Tim Raines this long to get in, but I do think he'll get in this year. Me too. So on our fake ballots, we don't cast votes for the Hall of Fame, but on our fake ballots, he's a yes on mine. He's a yes on mine as well, as was uh, Jeff Bagwell, as you said. I didn't do Trevor Hoffman, though. I didn't do Trevor Hoffman. Neither did I. We can can do Bagwell first. I I want to talk about Bagwell because, to me, he is the most criminal omission from the Hall of Fame. I'm with you. He is, I think, literally the best first baseman on Pujols. Since of the expansion era, you know, since the 1960s. That's big words because I mean, like Willie McCovey's in that group in yeah. that discussion, is he not? How much of his career was pre? I thought 1959 was his rookie year. Okay. So okay, so he's he's definitely expanded. So if it's not McCovey or if it's not Pujols, it's Bagwell. Bagwell's Frank Thomas is in the discussion. Right, Bagwell's extremely underrated. I think you're right. I mean, like why his case isn't a cause celeb and Reigns's is. I guess we just should blame the Houston writers for not advocating more <laughs> for Jeff Bagwell. But clearly the PED issue and steroid suspicion hangs over Jeff Bagwell in a way that has really affected his candidacy. 
And maybe Mike Piazza's election will help that wall crumble, you know, Craig Biggio getting in. Right. Well, I guess the only other factor I can think of is that Bagwell did, pretty by recent standards, by his era standards, he was done early. He was mm-hmm. done at 36. And he, he didn't hit 500 home runs. I guess that's kind of the entry point for first baseman now, 500 right. home runs. He had, what, 449? 449. I mean, he ruined his shoulder, and so his last season he only played 39 games. That was the year. Just so he's... He's always been linked to Frank Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, they played in the Cape at the same time. They might have been the same draft year. They might have the same birthday. These kind of they're always these links with these two guys, um, and they both wound up with both their teams in the 2005 World Series, and they were both too hurt and couldn't play. <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is so weird to me that these those guys were linked together, wasn't it? Was White Thomas Sox on the White Sox at that time? I thought he was. I thought he, I thought he moved on to a different team. But I think he got hurt that year. He was and, just injured for the year and could not play okay. in the postseason. I think he played during the year. <laughs> That's funny. He, Big Frank's in the. He's in the. Uh, he's got a ring, and he's got. And it's a white with the White Sox, and uh, yeah, that was his last. Not the year. 06 Athletics, like you were no, thinking. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, no, he played and he played thirty four games that year for the good guys. Good guys. And Jeff Bagwell played thirty nine games. <laughs> That's awesome. So they've had these parallels. Now Frank Thomas was better. Yeah. But it's close. And Bagwell has this four oh eight on base percentage yeah. that you know you see people and again like Edgar Martinez's candidacy gets a lot of talk this time of year. And basically, it's based on a four eighteen on base percentage. That's that's the number one selling point for Edgar. And Jeff Bagwell's was four oh eight. And by the way, one of the best defensive first basemen of the of his era. Absolutely, Pro- probably the the fastest or best base runner among first basemen. Two you know, thirty since World seasons. War Two. Two thirty thirty years. I believe he has the most stolen bases by a first baseman career since like the old days when the first baseman would run. That used to be your specialty in fantasy leagues. Him and Derek Lee, Derek those Lee. first basemen who could steal some bags. I remember that. Who's your top guy now? You know, who steals the first baseman? Paul Goldschmidt. Yeah. Paul Goldschmidt is a stealth stolen base option in fantasy. He leagues. is stealth. I mean, there's nothing else stealth about him. <laughs> He's extremely good at everything else, but he steals like 15 bases a year too. So Bagwell's on mine. Bagwell's on mine, and it is it is stunning that he has taken this long. For me, I think people forget just how a large portion of his career was in a horrible place to hit in the Astrodome the first half of his career. So yeah, career 149 ops plus. I'm looking at it right here. That's pretty outstanding. That's better than Edgar Martinez. And he played, and he was, again, slightly if better. If you're going to play first base, uh, if you're going to play down on the defensive spectrum, it helps if you're a significant asset there. And he was. He was a significant asset at first base. So Absolutely. Trevor Hoffman, though, I, we're, we're, both, we're both again him. Why are you again him? I, th- I want to see the role of one inning closer evolve more before I would grant admission to anybody but... Mariano Rivera. I think he's done enough based on his consistency, based on his postseason record. Yes. Hoffman, I don't think, was outstanding enough at being a one-inning closer to warrant admission, or at least immediate admission. I want to wait and see. Because think about it this way. Hoffman beat or surpassed Lee Smith's saves record in 2006. Did you realize the man he beat was Lee Smith, who had 478? Francisco Rodriguez is 48 saves away from tying Lee Smith. I didn't realize that. He's, assen- he's essentially a season and a half away from tying the, all- the one-time all-time saves leader. Does, does that put saves records in perspective? Yeah, saves just as a statistic, I mean, I think we all agree that that's just not a great way to measure, evaluate a relief pitcher. And he did other things well. How much, I guess the, the, the problem with me putting him in the Hall of Fame is how much can we evaluate him as a player and his greatness based on the way that his managers chose to use him or chose not to use him? Would we think differently of Trevor Hoffman if instead of having 601 saves, if he had more in the 300s, but in several of those years his managers had used him for multiple innings at a time, and maybe he had, instead of a 61 and 75 career record, maybe he had 100 wins, mm-hmm. but 300 fewer saves. I, I mean, who knows? I, I just don't know. Could he, have, could he have handled that? Could he have handled being used in the regular season somewhat akin to what we just saw in the postseason with an Andrew Miller? You know, not only are going to use him two innings every night. Or a Rich Gossage usage right. pattern from the 70s. Right. Gossage's career really does stand out in comparison to other closers. And he'll tell the, you all about it, too. Even the Fingers, though, or those other guys. I mean, like yes. Bruce Suter. So compared to Bruce Suter and Raleigh Fingers... If you think those guys are Hall of Famers, 
then sh- I don't. I won't begrudge you voting in Trevor Hoffman. Right. I for me, just because those guys are in, doesn't mean I have to vote in Trevor Hoffman. And I, and like you said, to me, there's no comparison of Hoffman versus Rivera. I just they're not comparable to me because it's Hoffman number two for you of no '90s slash 2000s closers. No, I'd actually put Billy Wags ahead of him. Uh, I know Billy Wagner has a lot fewer innings pitched, um, and that's that's a problematic. 853 innings pitched. Is problematic, but he just was so much more dominant. If you're so, that's to me is, you know, if you're only going to be used one inning at a time, I want the guy who never or very rarely got beat in those one inning at a time, and that was Billy Wagner. Degree of difficulty for me for Billy Wags being a left-handed closer was very significant, Um, and his strikeout rate is way over Trevor Hoffman's. Um, Maybe I'm going too much on rate stats, but 903 innings. Uh, I know that's not very much, but man, those were 903 awesome innings. He was <laughs> he was incredible. I mean, 600 hits career. I know. I mean, I, I just think if you're so that to me. But does he get your vote? He didn't get my vote in this exercise, but I would vote for him over Trevor Hoffman. I I prefer Billy Wags to Hoffman. So. Yeah, I didn't. I did not vote for Wagner either. Yeah, I mean, like they're not. They both have pretty big flaws. Dealing with relievers is going to be a whole other kettle of fish for me with with the Hall of Fame. Because, like, what are the standards? So, to me, it, it can't just be saves. It has to be, do I think Billy Wagner could have thrived in any role, in a multi-inning role? Or do I think he could have, I wonder if he even could have started. I mean, coming up in the minor leagues as a starter. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I kind of think he could have. You know, 94, 96 miles an hour back when that really mattered. I mean, he was a trailblazer for... I mean, he was the high to be the hardest throwing left-handed pitcher in big league history consistently over like a ten-year period before Aroldis Chapman came along. I can't think of anybody other than Randy Johnson hmm. um, who threw that hard that consistently. So, and of course, those guys are polar opposites physically, which is also fun. So, so I I, I wouldn't know Hoffman. Um, Do you want to get to the new candidates and then circle back to the holdovers? The new candidates that we were focusing on were Ivan Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, Vladimir Guerrero. Was there anybody else that you... Those are the three for me. You're not in the Mags uh, category? (laughs) Magli Ordonez? Great player. He was. He was a very, very, very good player, I guess is what I would say. (laughs) I I, I fall a little short of of Mags, the Hall of Famer. Um, But I I wound up actually voting for two of those guys. I did not vote for Manny in this exercise. Really? I voted for all three. The only reason I didn't vote for Manny Ramirez is that he was suspended twice under the PED <laughs> protocol. And I just, you know, to me, the rules having changed and being that black and white, I would even allow for one mistake, but not two. I, I thought that was just... I believe he had a third suspension, too, that got that he got overturned. But, yeah. But, yeah, that... So it doesn't mean I wouldn't vote for him eventually, but on this first, I, I guess I would say that I don't believe he be, he earns first ballot Hall of Fame inclusion for me based on that. So yeah, I, I think his offensive excellence is just too loud to ignore. If you're going to allow for, I voted for Bonds and Clemens. I was going to say if you're going to allow for performance enhancing users, I would vote for him for sure. 300 hitter, you know, 555 home runs. It's easy. Man, I mean, played for a number. It was a one of the best hitters on multiple World Series winners. On uh, multiple great teams. I mean, you yeah. know. Uh, 95 I, and 97 World Series with the Indians. Right. And the 96 team was incredible. And then all those good Red Sox teams. And then don't forget Dodgers teams. Oh, eight Dodgers? 08 and 09. I mean, his 2008 season when he got traded. That's a great card. Season, Strat card. This Strat card for 2008 is sick. <laughs> Just the Dodgers only card. The Dodgers only card is like a 200 OPS plus. I mean, it's not that outrageous. But it's close. Um, I mean, the guy. But if you're gonna keep the man had a 996 PEDs, OPS for his career. That's, I know, but if you're gonna keep anyone out for PEDs, okay. he's your guy. That's all I'm saying. And I'm not even saying, that I, and I wouldn't have a problem with him getting in. Oddly enough, he doesn't have a ton of black numbers. Hmm. That is one other thing. You know, we don't RBIs only like once, only once. The one he had to drive in 165 runs to do it, <laughs> and only led the league in home runs once, 2004 with the Red Sox. Now some of the rate stats. He did, you know, batting one batting title, three times on base percentage, three times slugging. I don't remember his batting title year. What was that? 99? That was 2002 with the Red Sox. He hit 349. Wow. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, so there's no, there's really no argument against him except for the off the field indifferent defense. 
Yeah, but I, I mean, mean he more than made up for it. I bet you his defense and Tim Raines is probably grayed out pretty similarly. They're left fielders. Who cares? You know. <laughs> so if you could do it, great. You know, if you're good at it, like Barry Bonds, super. But it really isn't. It's not what anybody's coming to left field. For. I kind of missed the early career Manny, where he was more firm and less hair. It was kind of. It was more aesthetically. It was pleasing. Shorter, shorter hair, Manny was the well, Indians, Manny. Basically. Yeah, Indians, Manny. Yeah. I mean, and first year or two with the Red Sox. Yeah, so. when he just when he gave the two thumbs up for, to the Red Sox to the Boston media and just went bueno when he got that uh, jersey, he was uh, lovable. But uh, yeah, I don't have a problem if he gets in. But that, I'm just saying why I didn't vote for him. But Ivan Rodriguez and Vladimir Guerrero to me are easy. And Vladimir, I guess, is a pretty interesting conversation point here, Matt, because mm-hmm. I see a lot of. Articles about how if you put in Vlad Guerrero, you have to put in Larry Walker. I used to be very big on the Larry Walker discussion, and now I've cooled on that. How do you fall on Vlad versus Larry Walker, your two Expos right fielders? They are very similar on career value. Uh, you know, Vlad was healthier, more dependable. Yes. That's a big big point in his favor. But his, his career also petered out at a pretty early age by elite player, Hall of Fame candidate standards it did he did not have a long decline phase no he didn't and when he fell apart it was there for all to see in that <laughs> world series with the rangers what was that 2010 2010 world series yeah it was, that was a beautiful thing <laughs> i was i was definitely not a dh proponent for that world series just to watch vlad stumble around in right field but that was age 35 yeah. one more year with baltimore and that was it and he gone he gone is indeed so it's in that way he's kind of similar to bagwell Hmm. Uh, obviously, more aggressive hitter. Did not have the play discipline that a Bagwell did. Stole a lot of bases. Not as efficient a base stealer as Bagwell. And actually stole fewer bases over the course of his career than Jeff Bagwell. Bagwell, wow. 202. Really? Vlad Sr., 181. I'm wondering if Vlad Sr. is going to become like <laughs> Ken Griffey Sr. is the junior Griffey. <laughs> My man crush on Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has knows no bounds. Until until Junior reaches the majors, we don't need to signify a senior. I want him Junior. <laughs> uh, Vlad Vlad Guerrero also you know very few black numbers. Led mm. the league in hits one year. Led the league in runs scored one year. Do, led it in caught stealing one year. You, That's it. Total do, bases twice. I think at the time that standard was devised, it might have made more sense. But there's just so many. Teams now, right? Right. It's harder. To it's get harder to lead a league. I would agree. Um, he also hit a lot of double plays. Yeah. So his kind of he he had obvious value. I think in the hidden game, Larry Walker yes. probably <laughs> laps him. Larry Walker was a more refined defensive player, a better defensive player, an excellent th- base runner. And he won best tools base best base runner every year. It felt like, in fact. One of those years, I think in 97 or 98, we put him on the cover of Best Tool, and it was running the bases. And that was done on purpose because he always, I noticed that he always won Best Base Runner. Like every year since I started in 96. Wow. He'd won Best Base Runner like 97, 98, 99. I was like, hey, let's put him on the cover running the bases because he was really good at it. Is there anything we want to talk about with uh, Yvonne Rodriguez? I'm starting to wonder why I left Larry Walker out real quick, but I do know that part of it is talking to people, both reporters who covered him and front office people who were in organizations that he played for, they both consistently have told me that they felt that Larry Walker should have been better than he was, that he spent too much time in the training room, that he did not play through injuries enough, hurt his team in that regard, and didn't get the most out of his ability. I know that hurts him. That reputation is definitely out there with him, valid or not. It is prevalent. Uh, these, are just, these are just two conversations I had a couple of off seasons ago and I was driving the Larry Walker train. So now I remember that that was one of the reasons why I was hmm. I cooled on his candidacy. Um but to me, uh again, if he gets in, it doesn't bother me. I think he was better than Jim Rice, but that shouldn't necessarily be your standard for getting the Hall of Fame. I think Dewey Evans was better than Jim Rice too. So that's really to me his most comparable player is Dwight Evans. Um who had a longer, more durable career. Right. Whereas Walker lower was a little more... Yeah, lower peak, exactly. I, I voted for Walker this year on this ballot. I'll allow a counselor. <laughs> Did you want to talk about Yvonne Rodriguez at all? Uh, Is there anything I, to say? I think the PEDs are going to be... If he doesn't get in this year, that's the only reason why. Because his name is evoked in the Jose Canseco book. Right. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, like... And just, I think he a lot and of people eyeball-wise... And then Palmero, shortly after that book came out, failed the drug test. Right. Right, exactly. <laughs> and he was, I, I think, he was mentioned in there, too. I think a lot of people just, just looked at Yvonne Rodriguez that year that he went to... Was it when he went to Detroit mm-hmm. from Florida? 
and people just thought, wow, this guy lost a lot of weight. You know, I mean, I think, six, yeah. I think there's a lot of just like talk about him besides uh, the Kiteko book and then his physical appearance. But to me, I mean, like he was just synonymous with, I mean, he was like Yanni Molina, who was a great hitter. Mm-hmm. I mean, every year. Him, every year. Yeah. Every year. So, and, I mean, I, I for me, he's an easy Hall of Famer. But I don't think there's going to be that that question. I don't I don't know that he'll get in in his first year. Right. So. I mean, I don't think he will either. Uh, although I voted for him in this. He's I the all-time leader in games caught, I believe. That I didn't know, but that does not surprise me because he was really good for a long time. I and mean, he debuted at age 19. That, yeah, that helps. <laughs> it doesn't it, it doesn't hurt. Um, it doesn't hurt. Um, who else did you vote for, Matt? Who who was your next vote getter? The only other position player I voted for was Bonds, Barry Bonds. You know his case. I agree. He, for and against. It definitely seems like the Bud Selig inclusion and Tony La Russa being in the Hall of Fame, but those two things are going to work in the favor of, of Bonds and Clemens this year. I think so. And I think that's a good thing. Let's just get this over with. You know, mm-hmm. Again, I do think Ramirez is different because he tested positive twice under the current regime. Even like comparing him to like Big Poppy, that's a big difference. Big Poppy never tested positive that we know of for a banned substance. He was his name was leaked, but we don't know what he tested positive for because it was supposed to be secret. Yeah. So, but Manny Ramirez missed games because he was suspended for PED use. That's a pretty big, it's a pretty big matzo ball hanging out there, if you ask me. So, you, um, did you vote for Bonds as well? I voted for Bonds. I voted for Clemens as well. And the rest of my guys are pitchers, uh, the big three right-handers on the ballot. So that would be Clemens, Musina, and Schilling, correct? Yeah. What do you think of Jerry Krasnick of ESPN's column about uh, Kurt Schilling and his? Uh, being cost votes basically by this, uh, no, it's not even his politics. It seems like it's for that one specific tweet, right? Um, about journalists that bother you. Uh, the the, tw- <laughs> the tweet itself didn't show an amazing amount of uh, discretion, <laughs> but I don't think I would count that against his his professional life. His personal right. life, yeah, I would have a lot of problems with that. But his professional accomplishments are enough for me. It's amazing when you read about all the good guy awards that he won during his career. Mm-hmm. He seems to have squandered all that goodwill um, in his post-playing career. I guess it really kind of started with the whole bloody sock thing. People just, like, uh, there just was instantly, like, doubt about the veracity of that story. Right. <laughs> and then ever since then, it really felt like, um, like, everybody kind of, a, a, a kind of aborted comebacks later in his career, like when he was hurt and closed one year for the Red Sox. I know he was on the 2017, but he wasn't really a significant part of that team. And then, of course, his post-playing career with the whole, I guess it's really picked up after he ruined his, uh, after he got government money, which is kind of ironic considering his political inclinations, and then you know lost all that money to the state of Rhode Island. That's really, I guess that's really the dividing line. Because mm-hmm. nobody seems like they believe a thing he says or thinks well of him since then. Um so he definitely, I definitely think it, when writers are deciding your fate as to whether or not you get in the Hall of Fame, probably not a good idea to insult the writers. <laughs> I mean, it's really not rational to expect that group of people to not react to a tweet like that. Right. It doesn't make, it doesn't say anything about the writers except that they're human. Hey, I don't like being insulted. I'm not going to vote for you. I mean, I, that's just logical, you know. It just, it, I don't see why anyone would be surprised or hold that against the writers. To not vote for a guy when they when he tweets advocating lynching of their peers. Yeah. So this animus toward journalists is something I was unfamiliar with until this year. It's uh, it's pretty, I, it's pretty I significant. Like, I was shocked. Okay, but it is significant. Sh- Schilling is at fifty two percent last year, so I don't think if anything he's going to stay the same or go backward on the actual ballot. I would imagine. That's what it seems like. But I think on the field his case is pretty pretty great. Yeah. Uh, but Musinas is better. I didn't. I didn't used to think that, but I think Mike Mussina's case is his regular season. His regular season case, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, he, I think I just, I, Schilling gets a huge bo- extra credit for his postseason. Significantly so. No, I agree. But, Very much so. Yeah. Kind of like, kind of like what we when we talk about DHs and we haven't talked about Edgar Martinez, like Edgar Martinez, and he gets compared a lot to David Ortiz. I've mentioned Ortiz a lot here. Obviously, I think Ortiz is a Hall of Famer. <laughs> uh, I can't help it. I think I think Cookie Monster is a Hall of Famer. He, I always thought his best physical comp was Cookie Monster. Mm-hmm. Um, Edgar Martinez, neither one of us votes for him, it doesn't sound like. I did, not, I, I did exclude him on this exercise. 
So why did you exclude Edgar Martinez? I think he's dead for me. I didn't vote for him in this either. He would be my ninth guy on my ballot. I voted for seven on this ballot. I didn't end up voting for Schilling, actually. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I didn't vote for Martinez, but I had those guys eight and nine on my ballot. And I think Martinez, again, he's one. Of, he's a guy where I could live with it if he's in. I could live with it if he's not in. For you, why is he not in? He's just not as well-rounded as these other guys. That's just, and that's the bottom line. It is simple. It is kind of simple that way. He really is a. The, all of his value is in his hitting ability. Yeah. And to get to the Hall of Fame, that standard is going to be pretty stinking high, right? Yeah. There's two DHs in Paul Molitor and Frank Thomas. I, I think you could argue that those guys are more accomplished. Yeah, and and the other hitters who are eligible for the ballot this year. Like, I have a hard time thinking that I would take Edgar Martinez over Gary Sheffield. Right. Or a Hemplo. Yeah, exactly. I know that's a good point. Those guys have very similar rate stats over the course of right. long careers. Uh, you know, the, the, the mark against Sheffield is that he played a position, but he generally played it indifferently slash badly. Mm-hmm. But he was still out there. He was a better player. He could play... In the National League. Right. It, 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 <laughs> you know, yeah, it, Edgar it, couldn't. It allowed you to keep a lesser player off the field because you had Sheffield out there. This, this is a significant factor to me. Sammy Sosa, kind of kind of a similar... I'm not saying he's as good as those guys. Right. A similar si- case. Similar corner player with limited defensive value. Very limited and also just shocking statistics. <laughs> Sammy Sosa, I think we forget. What was it that we looked up today? His five-year home he run? He averaged team? 61 home runs. Per 162 games. Over five years? Over five years. <laughs> this was from, what, 98 to 2002? I, I think, think so. Was. I think so, yeah. I mean, we lived through it. I'll never forget watching, it was 98, I guess it was. It was the year, the month that he hit 20 home runs. In June. July? June. June. Yeah. And Matt Anderson, who'd been the first overall pick the previous year, had just come up for the Tigers and was throwing 97 to 100 out of their bullpen. And Sammy Sosa hit a screamer over the center field fence at Old Tiger Stadium, so 440 feet wow. away, off Matt Anderson. I remember watching that in my old apartment in Garner and just being like, <laughs> what did I just watch? The final year of Tiger Stadium, right? I think it might have been. It was incredible. <laughs> it was just incredible. He was such a force of nature that year to watch. Mm-hmm. And that month, 20 home runs in a month, that's Darren Russell. That's Darren. That's my, that's my joke. <laughs> Darren Ruff hit 20 for Reading and whatever. 2008, 2009, something crazy like that. But yeah, so, but Sosa really, again, kind of like Edgar Martinez. They were really good at one thing. Uh, Edgar Martinez was very good at getting on base, and that is an important skill to have. A 418 on base is pretty sick. I mean, the only person who's a higher on base in this whole Hall of Fame ballot is Bonds, it's right? Bonds, yeah. So that that's pretty, that's a big check in his box i guess for me matt the thing is that the the players who get in the hall of fame pretty much based solely on their offensive ability are usually more well-rounded than him and 309 home runs he also has the that's low one of the highest average batting averages on here at 312 yes regardless it's it's it's, yeah that's his case offense but yeah again if he gets in i got no problem with it um we do have two guys on our twitter feed um Manny Pissaru and Reggie Deal, both of whom are uh, longtime uh, tweeters at us. Manny asks, are you voting for Bagwell? I wouldn't. King of garbage time production. I never looked at it that way. I guess I'd never, you know, I'd have to look more into his case to see what his, what his numbers were when the, the game was out of reach. But I never thought of him that way. Um, what are his these numbers, if you don't mind looking those they, up? They aren't good. I do know they aren't good. Because uh, the Astros won the division at least three times. During his peak, they won it a lot in his. In, you know, they went to the playoffs a, a lot in the history of the Astros. Um, his postseason, they, he played in six postseason, nine series, series, um, and overall was twenty four for one hundred six. So two twenty six batting average, three sixty four on base, and only a three twenty one slugging. He had two home runs hmm. his entire postseason, both of them coming in the two thousand four division series. Against the Braves, which the Astros won. Interesting. So then he, he hit well. He, so that postseason, he did well. Pitchers were walking him to get to Derek Bell. <laughs> Operation Shutdown was indeed was, was to <laughs> do Moises that. Salou. You know, but like in 2001 Division Series against the Braves, he went 3 for 7 with 5 walks. I mean, the Braves weren't going to pitch to him. So 429, 667, 429. So 
he was clearly pitched around. You know, division series, 1999 against the Braves, same thing. Two for 13, but five walks. <laughs> um, so, and let's, you know, let's face it, they faced the Braves in the playoffs in 97, 99, 2001, and 2004. Oh. So he wasn't going up against nobodies. And he was facing, in some of those series, three Hall of Famers. Yep. So that kind of makes it hard to put up big offensive numbers. So I, I don't know how much I can really... A Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer, you would like to think that he would get the better of some of those battles, but that's just not easy. It's a very small sample. Uh, yeah, but it's certainly not in his favor. Correct. That he recorded those numbers. Correct. Reggie Deal, the at-one-baseball nerd, blind fan of the day, Reggie Deal, says, I think Bagwell should get in. If he does, will that open alternative path for Palmero when looking at pure stats? Rafael Palmero, not even on that uh, Veterans Committee ballot that we looked at, Matt, um, which was uh, the, the committee that earlier put on uh, put in uh, John Sherholt and put in Bud Selig and not Sherholt, put in Selig and no, it was Selig and Sherholt. Sure, yeah. I'm not sure he's eligible for the Veterans Committee yet. The Era Committee, I think. Palmero. Yeah. Did he come on the same year as McGuire? Because this was the first year McGuire would have been eligible. That I don't know. For this today's game ballot. I'm not sure about that one. But I don't see Rafael Palmero ever getting in, to be honest no. with you. His case really is no more chance. similar to Harold Baines's, who was on that committee, mm-hmm. than anybody else's. He did stick around long enough. It, it's so ridiculous, though. A guy with 3,000 hits and 600 home runs, we say, no chance. 500, right? I don't think he hit 600. Did, did he have to have 600? Let's take a look. Rafael Palmero hit 569 home runs. Okay, so if so you're rounded, you would round up. 550, let's say. Yes. 3,020 hits. It is amazing because I always remember that year. You may remember this too, the Paul Trapp cartoons. It was a back-to-back Baseball America issues. In one issue, he had just gotten his 3,000th hit. And the Paul Trapp cartoon was of Palmero carrying a giant bat that says 3,000 hits on it. And he's going to ram down the door to Cooperstown. And the very next issue after he got busted for PEDs, (laughs) it had him carrying that same bat, but the bat was limp. (laughs) So, um, and that was as the the two events were very close in time right he got his 3000th hit and then just a matter of weeks it was like three weeks later suspended it it was very simple but you know irony department yeah as great as he was you know like you said it's amazing that we don't that he wasn't just automatic because those numbers are automatic career numbers career numbers are usually automatic I don't I don't see him getting in no the finger wagging (laughs) doesn't usually go well for people that would be his plaque Lee Smith Honor, never going to get in. You think this is his last chance on the ballot? Yeah. How about Fred McGriff? I always thought when he played, I thought of Fred McGriff as a Hall of Famer. But his timing seems to have been difficult. 493 home runs pales in comparison to so many of his peers now. I think he's just a half step behind the, the first base standards. I mean, you know, there was probably a period when he played where you could have considered him the best at his position. But he's just a half step behind Thomas or Bagwell or right, or now other guys who are coming out like Albert Pujols when he's eligible. You're right about Miguel Cabrera. Miguel Cabrera. I mean, he's right. just he's Miguel Cabrera for me is going to wind up being the best first baseman of the post of the post Jimmy Fox Lou Gehrig era. Yeah, he's he's a very strong candidate. <laughs> he is honestly. Pujols is more accomplished now. Right. But Cabrera is trending to have a better career, and it's all said and done, than even than Pujols. Hard yeah, to I mean, we, would just, we probably would have said the same thing about Pujols at Cabrera's age. This is true. Let's hope that Pujols, that, that Cabrera doesn't uh, doesn't sign somewhere and, and, and go into an on-base percentage tailspin like uh, Pujols has late in his career. It's a tailspin. It's ugly. It's getting yeah. ugly. But Miguel Cabrera has aged very well so far. Mm-hmm. Um, he seems like he's the same player now that he was almost a decade ago in terms of pr- production. Uh, it's been very impressive. He's awesome. So Fred McGriff, also, one thing that works against him, he was a brutal defender. Mm-hmm. And he was thought of as a bad defender when he played. And I think advanced metrics think of, th- have him that way as well. Uh, a lot of negative defensive wars. I remember, especially late career, when he played for a lot of different teams after he left the Braves. Right. Tampa and the Cubs. It was like, ooh, this guy's really bad on defense. <laughs> so. Was there ever a point in time where you supported his candidacy? Yeah, probably when he first came on the ballot. And which was, you know, 2004 was his last season. Probably in 2009, 493 home runs probably ranked him pretty high. 
but or when he retired in 2004, hmm. 493 home runs probably had him in the top 20 all time. What is he now? Like 50th? <laughs> I mean, I'm 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 not really kidding. What what is he now all time in home runs? Uh, let's take a look here if I can find this out. But I don't think he's ever going to get in. He is 28th career in home runs. That's 493. That's a lot of home runs. Jeff Kent. <clears throat> I think Jeff Kent's indifference toward the writers hurts him because I think just studying the numbers, I'm surprised he doesn't he hasn't gotten more than 16 percent of the ballots because the numbers say that Jeff Kent's a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. I don't well. think of him as a Hall of Famer, but I probably should start thinking of him that way. He's to me, his case is as good or better than Edgar Martinez's. Yeah, the Jaws system doesn't seem to have Kent as a Hall of Fame. And the Jaws system's pretty good. I mean, it's based on past precedent, so... Right. Unless the, pre- unless the way the writers view things changes. Right. Jeff Kent's defense, I guess, I've always thought of as poor, mm-hmm. but just in the context of second baseman. When you think of today's second baseman, 2016... And how offensive they are, Jeff Kent is like the he's the model those guys are based off of in a lot of ways. How about this? He has the same exact OPS plus as Tim Raines for his career. So two different ways of getting there for sure. <laughs> I mean, I prefer Raines as a player, but Jeff Kent did play the infield. He did. <laughs> All over the infield. There's something to that. Into his late thirties. Yeah. For, oh, absolutely. For good Astros and Dodgers teams. And and, and good Giants teams. He was always on good teams. He mm. he he has a very lengthy postseason resume. And I don't remember what it is overall, but I do remember some memorable home runs for the Astros. And what it is career-wise. All-time record leader. 276, 340, 500 slash line in 49 postseason games. 170 at-bats. Only 37 strikeouts in 170 at-bats. So, not bad. Although his last postseason in 2008 for the Dodgers is a 40-year-old. He went over now. (laughs) Very very interesting career. I wonder how the Veterans Committee will will handle him. He has an interesting case. He seems like his being an antisocial butthead is going to hurt it. I don't think that's going to help. He was, uh, but but again, comparing him to like the the Ryan Sandbergs and the Bobby Gritches and these kind of offense first second basemen, he's a better offensive player than them. He's much far behind them defensively. Consistent fours in strat. Yeah. Those guys were, I'm going to guess, ones and twos. He was the Daniel Murphy of his time. He was. I mean, he really was. Though. He was that kind of guy. Um, Larry Walker, we kind of talked about. Gary Sheffield. Now I'm surprised Gary Sheffield doesn't get more support. I know. Nobody has really gotten behind him to make, a case, to make an Edgar Martinez case. Or... 500 home runs and 250 <clears throat> stolen bases. That's hard to do. How many guys do that? Not too many guys do that, I don't think. Yeah, career 290 hitter. An ops, and, an ops plus comparable with these other guys we're talking about. And he walked a ton. 393 career on base. He was in the middle of a lot of great lineups, again. And I always felt like teams that had Gary Sheffield meant they were trying to contend. You know, when he was with the, when he was with the Padres, they were contenders. When they decided not to be contenders, they traded Gary Sheffield. I mean... How many teams did he bat, you know, 500 times for? What would you Let's guess off the top look. of your head? I would guess six. Brewers, Padres, Brewers, yes. Marlins, Padres, yes. Marlins, yes. Dodgers, Braves. Dodgers, Did yes. he bat 500 times for the Braves? Yes. Uh, Yankees? Yes. Not the Mets. He finished with the Mets, right? Yes, but he did not get to 500. But you left out the Tigers. He played for the Tigers. 2007. Oh, yeah. 2007 as a 38-year-old, 593 plate appearances, I've 25 never walks, that 22 steals as a 38-year-old. <laughs> And more walks than strikeouts. 300 more walks than strikeouts for his career for a guy who had 500 home runs. He's unique. He is unique. That makes you more of a Hall of Famer. And the more unique you are, the more of a Hall of Famer you are, as long as if you're a good player. So, again, to me, the big things that argue against him are linked to bonds on the PEDs and then just uh, general poor defense. But similarity scores on BREF are... You know, Chipper Jones, Reggie Jackson. I think of him as a Reggie Jackson type of player. Yes. Well, uh, a better pure hitter. Yeah. A little bit less power, a lot fewer strikeouts. But to me, honestly, Gary Sheffield, I'm not sure why I didn't vote for him on this thing because I have always thought of him as a Hall of Famer. So I should have voted for him. I would probably vote for Gary Sheffield. I know that the bar for right field is high, but he, again, you line up the tools and what scouts look for in a right fielder. He checks every box with enthusiasm. And has there ever been a player with better bat speed than Gary Sheffield? 
He's got to be in the top 10 all time for bat speed. And he incorporated the wag to slow it down, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Fast hand. I mean, so what's the negative with Gary Sheffield besides the PED thing that he played for so many teams? It might be. It might just be a sense of identity. He doesn't really have an identity locked in with any one of the franchises he played for. What would he put on his hat? <laughs> I know, exactly. Like Tampa, you know, for where he came from. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I do think that his early career's churlishness as well. When he came up with the Brewers, it was said that he threw the ball away on purpose at third base, these kind of things. Like that right. probably hurts his, his candidacy, but... He was very outspoken too. Just about any topic you want to ask him about, he would give you. He would give you an opinion. I believe some would call that uppity in a, <laughs> in a different period. But to me, right. again, if we're voting on the player, I guess I'm advocating more for him and Jeff Kent than I thought I would. <laughs> um, who knew I liked uh, Jerk so much? But uh, I, <laughs> I like Gary. I like Gary Sheffield on TV too. I know he's good and on yet, TV. The other thing that is undersold is he's not huge. He's five eleven. He's listed five eleven one ninety. He's not a massive dude. The bat speed. I'm I'm talking myself way into the Gary Sheffield camp. I need to become to Gary Sheffield as a Jonah Carey became to Tim Raines. <laughs> um, but yeah, I like Sheffield's candidacy. I'm I'm in on him. Yeah. Billy Wags. I, we both said I, I said yes. You you are again. I say no. Even though, so he could go in in the Mets hat. <laughs> um, Sammy Suser. I think we both are no. Anybody on the rest of these candid- uh, th- these lists of Ma- Maglio or Donez, uh any of those other guys, uh, Edgar Renteria, those guys score well on the BaseballReference.com Hall of Fame monitor, Matt. Why did you think that was? What, what, could you pinpoint why they score so high there? Is that the one that's based on black ink? Like, did gray, gray ink, did Edgar Renteria know. really have that many top five finishes? That's a weird one to me. Edgar Renteria, I've always felt, was overrated by the evaluators, like the, the analysts, the statistical analysis. I always thought overrated Edgar Renteria. Um, he has one black ink caught stealing. Oh, he also has sacrificed hits in his rookie in his uh, second year in 1997. I was going to say. He came up early, but he was done at age 34. His age 34 season was his last year. He... He's only 40 this year. He should still be playing shortstop somewhere. Did he have the hit that won the 97 series? He did. He is a shortstop with 2,300 hits. But I always thought, like, if I'm going for shortstop with lots of hits, I'd go Vizquel over. Yeah. Over uh, Renteria. Then he was on the 2010 Giants as well. So he kind of bookended his career with. He did. Um, I think he was good. MVP of the World Series in 2010. I think he was good in that postseason. 252, 327, 339 career in the postseason. So. He had a big hit. He has some memorable moments, but over the course of his career with a lot of playoff teams, Marlins, Cardinals uh, for several playoffs, Red Sox in 05, and Giants in 2010, it's a lot of playoff teams and 666 OPS. That's kind of malo. You know, three career home runs in the postseason, two of them in that 2010 World Series. Yeah. So, um, so for me, Edgar Ritchie is not a Hall of Famer. Magno Ordonez? No. Derek Lee, any of the other guys? <laughs> Arthur Rhodes, no. Tim Wakefield? Timmy Wakes is a pretty interesting ca- uh, candidacy. He's in the Red Sox Hall of Fame. <laughs> Good. Two, 200 career wins yeah. is going to be hard for people to get to these days. But 180 losses is also going to be hard for people to get to. <laughs> That's a lot of losses, man. That's a lot of losses. So. And a 135 career whip. <laughs> I didn't even notice that, but that's uh, that stands out in this. Uh, Lee Smith, how about Lee Smith with a 126 for a closer? Different era, Matt. Different era. So I guess what I'm saying is, so so you voted for 10. Go over your ballot again. Which 10 did you vote for? I voted for Bagwell, Reigns, Schilling, Clemens, Bonds, Mucina, Walker, Yvonne Rodriguez, Manny Ramirez, and Vlad Guerrero. So if you had, if you if you went 11, who would have 11th been on your list? Would it be Edgar, or are you, just, I, or are you on the as, fence with him? As it played out, these were the ten guys I wanted to vote for. Gotcha. I think it would be the, the conversation would be Edgar versus Sheffield. And I voted for Clemens. I just said seven because I'm on the fence with so many of these guys: Clemens, Bonds, Mussina, Bagwell, Reigns, Ivan Rodriguez, Vladimir Guerrero. Then <laughs> eight and nine I listed as Schilling and Edgar Martinez. And then I clearly Gary Sheffield will probably be next for me. But um, <laughs> and like I said, I always used to be a Larry Walker guy, and now I'm kind of. On the other side with Larry Walker, just based on some of those conversations I've had, but that's that's valuable information, valuable intel as to why he might not be getting a lot of support too. I think that's why. I think that those perceptions are definitely out there. And that was one industry source and one media source, and it was a guy who was a beat writer for uh, Larry Walker teams. 
when he was at his peak. So um, I'm, 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 it's not a wide pool. He only played his peak was with Montreal and and uh, Colorado. It's not like I'm talking to Cardinals beat writers for that, but people who covered him thought that he spent an awful lot of time not playing for a guy who was that good. So, but it is a it's a lively debate. I do think we're going to see a lot of people inducted this year, at least those top three. I mean, do you expect the class to be four or five people deep? No, I think just those three. Really, just I, just Bagwell, Reigns, and one of those new guys, and Hoffman. Oh, just so just the three. You don't think any of the new play, the first time ballers will get in? No, I don't. That's interesting because I think Yvonne Rodriguez's case is. Really How are they polling on on internet tracking? Do we know? That I haven't seen. And, but the, and, the, like, co- and the complete faith we should place in exit polling. Not Mr. Tibbs is the guy to follow for that. Right. Uh, Ryan Timido, and he conveniently just tweeted, and I just started following him this week. So going to his uh, website. I will tell you right now, and it all uh, shakes out. He has 121 public ballots as of uh, this recording. That's 29% of ballots uh, that are known, 29.2%. And as of right now, he's got Jeff Bagwell at 92.9%, Bonds and Clemens at 70%, Vladimir Guerrero at 76 Vladimir Guerrero Sr., <laughs> Trevor Hoffman at 71%, Edgar at 669 Musina at 63 I just don't understand that at all. How is Musina lower than Edgar Martinez? Doesn't <laughs> compute. Tim Raines at 90%, Yvonne Rodriguez at 84%. Ooh, he's doing good. So I hope I'm wrong. Mike Musina, what is what is not on the what does he not do? Or what did he not do? <laughs> Let's put it to be specific. Also, not loved by writers, correct? Correct. A little churlishness there. Career seven and eight, three forty-two in the postseason. Right. Um, one hundred thirty-nine and two-thirds innings, one hundred forty-five strikeouts, thirty-three walks. Never, I mean, never won, never won a sigh. I mean, he was runner-up maybe once for the Orioles. Looks like he was uh, his best finish was second in nineteen ninety-nine. That's correct. And of course, he probably could have stuck around for thirty more wins. He won twenty games his last season as a thirty-nine-year-old. Had a 337 ERA. I'm saying that the year before he had a 515 ERA. But in 2008, mm-hmm. for a Yankee team that did make the playoffs, he was really good. Mm-hmm. So you would think he probably could have held on oh, yeah. for 30 more wins. But, I mean, a 638 winning percentage for his career I know. and a 123 ERA plus, and he was durable. Yes. I, I just think he's I think he's easy. I think regular season, again, he has a better case than, than Schilling does. Mm-hmm. So. so for me, he's in. I just don't understand how he's... Less in than Edgar Martinez. That doesn't make sense to me. Or the last. He suffers by comparison with the Hall of Fame pitchers who have just gone in. Maddox and Glavin and Johnson and Pedro. These are the best guys. John Smoltz, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he does. He's he's more similar to Smoltz than the other guys. His career is kind of similar to me to to Roy Halladay. Mm -hmm. But I guess. That's that's a different. He was more durable and more consistent. Halladay's peaks were higher. Right. I suppose. I mean, to me, like the reason that Musina, like you just said, like he didn't win all of uh, Cy Young awards while well, he played in the American League for his whole career at the same time as Randy Johnson for most of it and Pedro Martinez. I mean, who was he going to beat? <laughs> How was he going to beat those guys? So I'm a little bit surprised that that, Schilling, that Musina hasn't done better. But um, I don't know, maybe it's the smart guy thing. Maybe it was the alleged racism that Rob Nyer um, column 15 years back. Um, to Google that one if you don't know about that one. Um, there, I there are various reasons. The postseason in and of itself doesn't seem like it's a good enough reason. I, I do think that I think the main thing is that his best pitching was with the Orioles and not with the Yankees. And that when he got to the Yankees, he was basically their third starter right. throughout his tenure there. And that's how I think most media people see him. So, hey, I'm wrong, but that's how that's always been my impression is that he's. He was never thought of as an ace after he left Baltimore. But, man, he was really good as an Oriole. Um, 147 and 81, 353 ERA, 130 ERA plus as an Oriole, 114 as a Yankee. Kind of bears out mm-hmm. the ace versus kind of second or third starter. So, anyway, good stuff, Matt. That's all I got on the Hall of Fame. You got anything else you wanted to chime in on? Oh, not on this installment. I'm sure there's other avenues we could go down there in will the future. Be. I'm sure, and, and don't forget, if you go to the Baseball America uh, store, as I talked about before, store.baseballamerica.com, we have the definitive Hall of Fame book. It's the encyclopedia. It's the official Hall of Fame encyclopedia we put out every year. 
And there's a biography, a one-page biography of every Hall of Famer ever. It's a great gift. If you forgot someone over the Christmas holidays or the other holidays. Anyway, to me, this is a great gift. I love this book. And if you're a fan of baseball, it's history in the Hall of Fame. I strongly encourage the Baseball America Hall of Fame Encyclopedia. So, for Matt Eddy, I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.